This episode of The Paceline is brought to you by Health IQ. You ride your bike, you stay in shape, so you deserve lower life insurance rates. Check out healthiq.com slash paceline to learn just how much your riding can save you on premiums. Now, on to the show. To chamois or not to chamois? Just how important is that pad in your shorts? We will explore if you can get away with riding without one. And when Osmo Hydration was going out of business, Peter Sagan had some very specific thoughts. No way. We talked with the founder of Osmo Hydration, Ben Capron, a cycling renaissance man. To help people feel better, perform better, be in the world, be active, use their body, connect with people, connect with nature. That's what's really driving me. the podcast on two wheels welcome to show number 52 i'm eldon nelson better known when i'm known at all as fatty and with me is patrick brady the publisher at large of red kite prayer which is where you can always find links photos and whatnot for the show and you know i'm calling you the publisher at large because you are currently on the road is that right patrick yeah, I'm in uh, Westlake Village, uh, which is to say sort of Los Angeles adjacent uh, for press camp. Awesome. And yeah. let's talk about that in just a minute. But first, let's tell our listeners that, of course, they can always find this show on Google Play or Stitcher or SoundCloud and most importantly on iTunes. Speaking of which, pause this episode right now, unless you're on a plane and didn't get in-flight Wi-Fi and go to iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> rate us or review us and then come right back we'll wait it only takes a second <laughs> even if you're on the 405 just pull over and do it <laughs> yeah it's it's that important folks so let's do talk about press camp i am interested in what is going on at press camp well this is an event that you know in most ways gets better every single year um this year, you know, the mix of brands is just fantastic. I mean, like, you know, Jordana is here with their apparel. Asos is here with their big uh, demo showroom truck. Uh, Raleigh came with a bunch of their gravel bikes, and I'm hoping to get to ride one of those today. Ridley is back with their bikes, and they brought a big mix of them. Um, but the thing that I'm really excited about uh, and uh, the meeting from which we will have two interviews and future episodes is HIA Velo, the parent company for a new brand coming out called Allied. Um, and this is, uh, um, <clears throat> we talked about it some in previous episodes, uh, Guru Bicycles went, uh, went under uh, last year. Uh, they went bankrupt. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, Tony Carklins, the guy who was behind Orbea for a number of years, was looking for his next move in the bike industry. And he was actually thinking about starting up American manufacturing when all the assets from uh, Guru became available. He went up to the auction and outbid everyone else. Um, there was, in addition to his, uh, his bid for the entire operation, there were also a number of individual bids, like a number of builders went up to try to buy frame jigs and, you know, 
all this other stuff and you know they they sure. had a paint booth to sell and he outbid them for the entire operation all those little bids added up didn't add up to what he was willing to pay to get the whole thing and so he was able to secure all of Guru's assets and then move them back to Little Rock out Arkansas he hired Sam Pickman um who had just left specialized two, two days before um he's the head of engineering um, he's got the head of former head of production from Guru. Uh, it's it's a hell of a team he's assembled, and they're here showing their first bike, the Alpha, which is a straight up traditional road frame. Um, it's got a lot of de- design cues that you know make it look fairly similar to a lot of the other top of the line work being done uh, in road bikes right now. Um, this thing is significant in that they've uh, been pretty forward thinking about it. No press fit bottom bracket. It's a traditional BSA bottom bracket. Uh, it takes up to 28 millimeter wheels. Um, and uh, there's a material they're using in it called Enegra um, that is a polyester fiber and it increases frame durability, but it also makes the ride more comfortable. So, you know, things that used to just kill a frame, like a a handlebar ding on the top tube or, you know, a little tap on a seat stay that would uh, crack it. Uh, These things are much less likely to damage the frame now. Um, But also, these guys are so forward thinking, they're offering a lifetime warranty on the frame and fork. And even if something does happen, you can send it back to them. And if it's not just a catastrophic hit, like you ran into a curb and broke the frame in half, they're (laughs) willing to repair their frames for a pretty nominal sum. So this is a carbon fiber uh, bike company unlike any you've ever seen. Um, And I'm I'm just beyond thrilled. I'm going to be riding one of their bikes, their gravel bike, which will be coming out in a couple of months. I'll be riding that when I go to Dirty Kanza this year. All right. Well, you sound super stoked. And I'm excited about the idea of a really forward-thinking, innovative bike manufacturer that is going to be doing its uh, manufacturing in the U.S. That's always been one of the things, uh, aside from ride quality and quality, that I've loved about Envy. So, I mean, we're talking about, I mean, some really great things happening right here in the U.S. So, yeah, kudos to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got Envy, you've got Zip, uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, now you've got, you know, a carbon fiber frame company. Um, yeah. You know, and I mean, we've got this president who keeps talking about bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. Largely, I think that's a joke, but this is an instance where it's really going to happen. And it's not because of government intervention. It's because somebody's really smart. And we will get into what it is that they're doing differently um, in those interviews. I, it's just fascinating. I'm going to go out and visit them at some point. Um, I'm, uh, Yeah, I've already got kind of a man crush on this uh, company. <laughs> so, and, and here's yeah. the thing. You know, bottom line, it's not just, oh, here's this uh, American frame. This is not the GM of, you know, of the bike industry. Um, these guys are going to be competitive. They've got the Alpha. If you buy just the frame set... Um, it's either 2700 or 2750 I forget just which it was, but under $2,800 for an 875-gram frame. Beat that. That is a not-half-bad price. 
All right. Well, uh, let's. Yeah. yeah, I think I think we are going to be hearing more about these guys. And you know, a question that I've had for years and years, and I've I've posed this question to a lot of folks, and it sounds like they are kind of starting to get there. Is what is the next frame material after carbon? I mean, forever. You know, titanium was kind of the it, uh, the it material, and sure. now, of course, it, you know it. And the question then was, what's going to be the next thing? And it was carbon. And now we're saying, and I, I've been asking, what comes after carbon? And it sounds like it's going to be more of an iterative answer as opposed to a completely changed and you know completely other answer. So interesting to see uh, the advances and the refinements that we're seeing in uh, material quality and material composition. So there's nothing on the horizon to replace carbon fiber. Yeah. You know, there's not a new uh, a new material. I mean, back during the titanium days, we were looking at beryllium, except that could kill you, berylliosis. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, yeah, even if you were looking at stuff that might kill you, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, nuclear waste, uh, there's nothing else out there that people are looking at. The interesting thing is, and I've heard from the CEO of, of one company working in steel and titanium, that he is seeing a pendulum swing in the market back toward steel and titanium because people are fed up with broken frames, part of what HIA is responding to. Um, and so, you know, we're going to be dealing with, you know, those those four materials we've been dealing with, steel, aluminum, titanium, and carbon. That's going to continue to be the market for the foreseeable future. But obviously, the really smart companies are going to get much smarter about carbon fiber. So yeah, that's Westlake Village. I'll be in a bunch of meetings uh, today and um, uh, beginning to report on it uh, tomorrow or next week, <laughs> sometime soon. Um, there's we're we're being mauled with meetings. It's a it's a lot of different brands <laughs> to see. Uh, yeah, uh, and of course it's it's cold in Southern California, so we're not even getting the the nice sunny rides that we expected. Oh, anyway. <laughs> hey. You know, you, you come to Southern California, you ought to get something for it, right? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so, uh, what's new in your world? How's the weight challenge going? I am doing pretty well. And so are the other two guys that I am doing this challenge with. I, as of this morning, am out of the 170s. I am at 169 pounds, which means that I am uh, going to hit with, well, I still have a few ounces to lose, but to hit my goal for the week, which was 169. And that's good news. So I am, I am like super focused right now. When you're dieting and you're on a streak is when you do it's well. It's magic. Um, it is magic. And I'm so it's going well enough that I am becoming less and less likely to break from it and to, you know, go and have, you know, make myself a sandwich or whatever that, you know, it's, um, you know, when you're doing well, you want to keep doing well. So I'm on a good, I'm on a good path right now. However, next week I travel and Uh-oh. that is difficult. So I'm gone from Sunday morning until Thursday night, basically, you know, a full work week. And it is going to be really difficult to stay on target then, you know, for one thing, I don't have a kitchen and so it, I can't make my own food. And in spite of what they say about, you know, you can 
order off menu and you can do do things to try to keep up it is just you are off routine and man it is hard i i would love it if paceline listeners had suggestions you know people who are real road warriors had suggestions on how they are able to stay on track with their diet and their training as they are on the road yeah i i think we'll probably hear from some you know um that's that's certainly something that i know we've got some readers who will want to uh or listeners who will want to weigh in on um and you you're not like gonna pack your scale up and take it with you either are you no no i'm gonna have no idea where my weight is during this uh during this trip so uh i'm just you know next friday which it'll be the first time that i weigh myself since sunday i'm just going to have to step on the scale and and i am halfway resolved to probably having to uh send a little paypal note to my two friends for 50 bucks each um, but I am also setting a weight loss goal of zero pounds for this week, uh, next week. And that's, that's a legit <laughs> thing to do. My, because uh, for me, a real win next week is to just hold it steady at 169. So I'm, I'm not expecting to lose any weight. If I can hold it level, then I'm good. So, okay. Well, that's completely reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. You- I, I, I'm trying, I'm not going to do stupid things right i'm just going to try to you know hold it steady eat right exercise and the place where i work um in new jersey does have a gym and i will you know hopefully be able just to kind of toe the line for uh for a week uh without weigh-ins wow okay watch watch this space (laughs) (laughs) yeah good luck dude yeah, but you know it. It is. It, it's exciting that you know ten pounds in since January second. Um, you know that's not half bad. That is not. You know, I'm I'm pretty pleased with my progress so far. Uh, how have you been doing with your New Year's resolutions? Well, I can't say I made a formal New Year's resolution, but because the first grasshopper of the season is coming up this Saturday, mm-hmm. um, I did kind of vow. I mean, I was hoping to lose a little weight. Um, you know, a pound or two, um, and that that hasn't happened. I was also, <laughs> uh, let's say, I was planning to drink as little alcohol as possible, or perhaps even no alcohol. I was kind of thinking I would do uh, after the holidays were over, and that has just abjectly, absolutely not happened. I have, I've had <laughs> m- my share of alcohol. Uh, I, it, I mean, it's not like I'm getting drunk every night or anything. I'm not even drinking every night, but um, I have been having beer on a fairly regular basis, and uh, I blame the Trailhouse. <laughs> Shame <laughs> on you, Trailhouse, or kudos, Trailhouse. Either way, but I, I'd say they're winning this round. <laughs> so I'm listening to you and thinking Patrick is failing at his New Year's resolutions because that is the squishiest sounding resolution I have ever heard. My resolution was to maybe think about drinking less alcohol. But I, I do understand because for when I set myself a, a goal where I have a weekly objective and accountability where I'm telling two other guys who are doing the same thing every single day how I am doing with photographic evidence and, you know, and, they're, and they're having to report to me, we're, all three of us are on track. 
right? Because there is a, an actual monetary expense and public shaming if we don't. For my other objective, which was to consume less caffeine, it was about as squishy as yours. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was thinking, you know, I you know, I make myself a quad shot latte every morning, and it's like my my favorite little vice. It is just, you know, I, I've gotten good at it, and they're delicious. That's what, like two hundred and forty grams of uh, or milliliters of caffeine. I don't measure it. I just <laughs> it's enough that I feel happy. <laughs> <laughs> but but here's here, the thing is, I thought you know what if I just did it if I just did a double shot instead you know and made it smaller. But instead, I've actually gone in the other direction and I've discovered the joys of the hexa shot latte. <laughs> <laughs> I am flying, dude. <laughs> Typing's difficult because my hands are vibrating, but otherwise. I'm... So are you not going to need a boarding pass next week? <laughs> I'm just. I'm going to run. I'm just going to run to New Jersey. <laughs> Everyone, clear the path. <laughs> We're going to get you a flash costume. <laughs> or something. Hey, that, of course, that's only good for the first couple of hours. And then... <laughs> um, oh, well. So that's that's where I stand. So, yeah, I, I, it really is true. Accountability and um, consequences really do uh, a lot for success of your of your objectives. And finding other people who want to have similar objectives. So just... Words of wisdoms from the pace line. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> so, so there there was one other thing I wanted to talk about. And this is from yeah. a couple of other uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was visiting St. George for this mountain biking trip. You know, the last week I was talking about this as well, but I didn't get to the mountain biking or riding part very well. It was a pretty cold <laughs> and rainy weekend. Yeah. And so we brought both our mountain bikes and our road bikes thinking, well, you know, we'll be able to do one thing or the other. And we brought essentially cold weather gear because we were expecting we'd be riding either in overcast or in rain, uh, you know, drizzle uh, for, for both rides. Mm -hmm. And as it turned out, that was pretty much spot on. But when I packed my gear, I packed a few pair of tights and I forgot to, and to check whether any of those tights had a chamois built in. And as it turns out, neither of the pair of tights that I brought did have a chamois. So I rode chamois-less um, both rides Whoa. for a road bike and for the mountain bike ride. And the thing is, I've done I've done a considerable amount of chamois-less riding on mountain biking in my lifetime. And I want to, and I, I experienced no pain or chafing or any negative effects from this. And this is, you know, after riding, you know, a, you know, I would say a 40-ish mile road bike ride on one day and then the next day riding the Zen Trail in St. George. And anyone who knows the Zen Trail knows that it's a pretty technical, rough trail. Uh, in high desert, lots of rocks. And, you know, so you're bouncing around a bit. I had no ill effects. And so I want to question the assumption of necessity of a chamois. We always ride with a chamois and we think that we would die without it, but I don't think we do. If you have a good a good fitting saddle, that extra padding, to me, it just, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's maybe as necessary as we often treat it, like it is, like it is absolutely crucial to a good ride. Okay, hang on. I need to, I, I just, 
Um, wow. <sighs> Did I just Where's... blow your mind, dude? Um, that may be what's leaking out of my ears right now. Okay, okay, okay. First, first, are we talking just tights or were they bib tights? Bib tights. Okay, that helps. How... I don't have any actual just plain tights. I all my all my tights are okay. Bib well, tights. okay, okay. That's a step in the right direction. Now, these tights. I mean, how snug was the fit? Very. Because right? okay, I'm, so... I'm still about ten pounds heavy. So, <laughs> but. But you know, sometimes I mean, if you're if you're riding around with a gut, the 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 fit down there, you know where the boys are, um, is maybe not as um, constrictive or or or. In this gathering. case, it, in this case, it was fine. I'm, so. I'm okay. Um, so you you've passed the the two big hurdles, you know, that I would see. Um, so now I'm just impressed. I'm not incredulous anymore, but I am impressed. <laughs> Um, I see, I can't, no, I, it's just, uh, uh-uh, uh, no, uh, I, see, I, I think won't most pad. people are like that too. Well, I mean, but see, I do, I do a fair amount of riding, you know, on, you know, on my townie bike, um, mm-hmm. you know, where it's, you know, jeans and skivvies. Um, and you know, it works. I'm not riding that hard, but every now and then I'll arrive somewhere and I need to like turn toward a wall and rearrange some stuff. Cause I'm a little uncomfortable, um, I mean, our mutual friend, Greg Fisher, um, who works for uh, a big PR agency in the bike industry, uh, fish man, that dude, he, when he mountain bikes, it's all cutoffs. He's in, he's in shorts, but not cycling shorts. He's riding with um, his Daisy Dukes. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Um, and he's like, no, it's just the thing I do now when he shows up for a road ride, he's you know, he's it properly attired, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, the last time I mountain biked with the dude, he was in old cut-off Levi's. Now, and I'm not sure I, I would can't. do that. The, the cotton plus the rough weave, I think, might be a deal killer for me. But I didn't inquire if there was yeah. a, a secondary layer beneath um, those cut-offs. I, you know, it's like... <laughs> I realized that no matter what he, what other information he would have shared with me, I was still out. <laughs> I, I, need, I need the pad. I want uh, the pad. The I, pad are good. I understand, although I, I respect you less as a journalist now that I know that you didn't ask uh, Fish what kind of underwear he was wearing or whether he was wearing underwear. That's total, you know, 101 level journalism, dude. I, I mean, next time, <laughs> once once there are beers in us, I will inquire, but... No, yeah, it was like no. Don't. It was just like I. It's too late. The moment's passed. <laughs> I I just you know it's like there's there's nothing beneath those Levi's that's gonna make this better for me. All right. Well, I will admit that um, minus the pad that uh, that I did tend to get hung up on the nose of the saddle a little uh-huh. bit more frequently. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> so yeah, I'm not saying that I'm not going to ever ride with a pad again. I'm just saying that the requirement or the necessity of a chamois is still there. Yeah, I would say that it's <laughs> less than we might think. That we we have this assumption that without it, it is just a no-go for the ride. And I'm going to say, nah, you can do just fine for at least a few hours without a pad. Prove it to yourself. Find out. What do you got to lose? Rhetorical um. question. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, let's move on. That's enough. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to talk with Ben Caprin, the CEO of Osmo Hydration. That's next on The Pace Line. Hi, I'm Kathy here to tell you about our classic shimmy pad. The crotch pad itself is designed and manufactured in the United States, and you'll see here that it is engineered to be quite thick. This is a men's pad. It's got a very dense pad. This is perfect for beginner cyclists who have stress or pressure points on their butt. When my son was born, I realized I needed to finally get some life insurance. Um, I had neglected to do so so far in my life. And when I went shopping for it, I realized that even though I was an exceptionally fit cyclist, uh, none of the companies out there took that into account in setting my rates. Um, I got a physical and it didn't ask me any significant questions. Uh, but now there's a company that helps you secure better life insurance rates because you are a cyclist. Uh, Health IQ advocates for a healthy, conscious lifestyle. They've used science and data to fight for lower rates on life insurance for the health conscious, including those who run, bike, and do other aerobic sports. In fact, research has shown that avid cyclists have a 45% lower cancer risk, 18% lower heart disease risk, and up to 28% lower risk of early death. Many cyclists don't realize they can get a special rate due to their active and healthy conscious lifestyle. So Health IQ has special rates with companies like New York Life on life insurance for cyclists and other healthy conscious people. Uh, check out our show notes. There's a link to their site, um, Health IQ slash Paceline. You can take their quizzes, uh, see the questionnaires. They've got a lot of information there. Health IQ. The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels, Patrick and Fatty of Red Kite Prayer Semi-Fame. And you have a great interview with Ben Capron. Tell us who Ben Capron even is, because I don't think he is necessarily uh, someone who is a household name, even among cyclists. No, he's really a bike industry insider. For people who really know the industry, you say Ben Capron, they go, oh, that dude. Um, he's got a, a really interesting, um, it's not a super varied background. He's a California guy, always has been, probably always will be. Um, but he's done some big things. He's a fascinating dude. Um, I got to know him a few years back, sharing a motel room with him on the specialized ride to Las Vegas. And, uh, since then, um, he has gone on to be the CEO of Osmo. He was the founding CEO and now he's back. Osmo Nutrition is back. Uh, Os- Osmo Hydration. Uh, sorry. Um, they're back. Uh, they're no longer um, an out-of-business bankrupt company. Um, and so I got Ben on the phone to talk with him. Okay, so I'm here with Ben Capron, CEO and one of the owners of Osmo Hydration. Um, ben, you started, you were one of the people who started this company and now you're back. Uh, I'm stoked about that. Um, this is, you know, we thought Osmo was going away. Things didn't look good. What happened? How is it you're back? And let us know what's up. Hey, thanks a lot, Patrick. It's so great to be on your show. Um, yeah, you know, Osmo uh, was started with a really clear goal to help athletes feel and perform their best. And right out of the gate, 
we had a lot of great successes. My other two co-founders and I um, won the green jersey, really started to help people understand how their bodies work and how hydration can help them perform better. Actually proved that improving hydration improves power output for the first time in a public way. And really, uh, we're growing the business. And then, you know, there were some changes. I ended up uh, leaving from Osmo. There were other changes at Osmo. And the business um, kind of flattened out and started to decline to the point where the investors didn't want to continue investing anymore in the business. And um, as a big fan of the brand and of the product and the team, I saw that and started talking to some folks, the uh, investors and also Peter Sagan, um, who had been using Osmo since 2013 to help him with his cramping issue. And the investors said they weren't sure what they were going to do, but they were pressing pause and uh, they may wind it down. And when I relayed that to Peter Sagan, he freaked out because um, in the years since he started using it, obviously it won the green jersey every year, two-time world champion, and he was um, he was really scared. So he said he wanted to buy all the Osmo inventory left, and he wanted to buy the business. <laughs> and, and I told him that, that the business didn't run himself, and so making the long conversation short, um, he said, okay, how about I'll promote it, you run the business, and just keep me stocked up with, with Osmo. And so... Uh, my partner, Lee Hutchinson, and I um, bought all the assets of Osmo, and we're relaunching the brand and business. We'll have product available as of the 20th of January, 2017. <laughs> I mean, I you know, I don't – I my laughing here is just the, the incredible nature of this story that, <laughs> you know, the, the white knight – uh, vision uh, of the sports most stylish competitor right now swooping in to say, you know, no, we can't allow this to happen. Uh, it's just, <laughs> you know, it just couldn't really kind of get any weirder and more delightful. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm totally with you. And it's, like, <laughs> it's my life at this moment. So I, I pinch myself off and it's very, it's very surreal. And, you know, for Peter, it was really, um, it wasn't altruistic. He has been using Osmo religiously ever since that uh, third stage of the tour of California in 2013. He'd been using it day in, day out, and he really found a solution to his chronic cramping problem. And so for him, he was really determined to find a way to um, essentially keep the supply of this product that was really working for him flowing. How was it he first learned of Osmo? Well, you know, we started and we were small and had to be scrappy. And so one of the strategies that we employed was identifying athletes, and we were really focused on cyclists, identifying cyclists who had chronic symptoms of dehydration and electrolyte imbalance, one of those being cramping. And as was widely known, Peter Sagan, who was young but still known as a phenom back at that time, was a chronic cramper. Um, 2013 early season Amstel gold race was particularly hot. He was the odds on favorite to win and very publicly cramped. And um, I started an effort of really trying to reach him and his team um, rallied together with some people who uh, knew the team. Scott Tedrow was one of them and 
um, connected and got the product in front of them and just kind of relentlessly kept pinging them, usually without response. And then Tour California was coming and it started in Southern California. Stage two was into Palm Springs. And prior yeah. to prior to that, I said, hey, you don't need to be Nostradamus to know it's going to be hot going into Palm Springs. And they didn't respond. But sure enough, a number of guys on the team um, had heat exhaustion. One passed out and got second degree burns on his thighs and butt as he was laying on the blacktop. And Peter cramped. And that night, the team called me and said, okay, we'll give this a try. We need some help. And um, I drove down from Northern California to Southern California. The team got Osmo that night and used Osmo that stage three of 2013. And I'm not claiming all the credit for this, but Peter won stage three. And after that stage, um, I met with the team manager in the hotel they were staying in. And he said, that he wanted Osmo to sponsor the team, that Peter loved the product and the riders loved the product. And he spoke very little English and I didn't speak any Italian. And I turned my pockets inside out and I said, you know, we don't have any money, but we've got really good product and we've got really sound science. And he said, that's what we need. So literally on a handshake, we became the sports nutrition sponsor for Team Cannondale where um, Peter was was riding at that time. and. Mm -hmm. uh, that started this uh, this shift for him in avoiding cramps and performing better and learning about how his body works that um, still continues to this day. Wow. Yeah. Well, I got to say, I mean, I'm not terribly surprised at how things worked out for him. You know, when you guys first launched, there was that camp that we did not far from where I'm living now. Um, and, you know, we went out and did some big, long, hard rides and I got back, uh, you know, to the finish of those rides feeling fresher uh, than I had, you know, on many similar occasions. Mm. Um, you know, it, it, sure, I had to eat, but, um, you know, I, uh, I, I've, you know, I, yeah, my, my legs absolutely felt better. I'm not a mm -hmm. big cramper, but mm -hmm. uh, I'm somebody who, you know, as the day goes, I tend to just slow down. Right. And I know part of that is just not keeping up sufficiently with my hydration. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've been a, a believer all along. Um, now, you're a guy with an interesting and diverse history in the cycling world. Um, and I, I want to back up and talk about your, your background a little bit just to show, you know, you've had the ability to go in a lot of different directions. You've done some really interesting things, and yet you chose Osmo. Mm -hmm. let's, let's talk about what you were doing in high school. Okay. Because when I was in high school, I was playing drums in a bad garage band. You were innovating <laughs> well, well, mountain bike products. What the hell? Yeah, well, I will I will significantly edit what I was doing in high school and and convey to you the the relevant <laughs> aspects of what I was doing in high school. I grew up in Marin County and um, had always loved moving, you know, on wheels from mm -hmm. tricycles to big wheels to bicycles, racing BMX and so forth. And um, in the '80s, mountain bikes started to pop up, and I started riding mountain bikes and working in bike shops. And I have always had kind of an inquisitive mind, whether it's physical tinkering or 
thinking about problems that just kind of bother me that don't seem quite right or solved in the world. I, I, I turned them over in my head. And one of those was the current, um, state of the art braking system for mountain bikes at that time were cantilever brakes. And now you used air quotes when you said state of the art, right? <laughs> Fair enough. Fair point. They bothered me. They cantilevers bother me because the force of the brake isn't going efficiently or directly in on the rim. And so I started messing around with brakes, um, with a drill press that was my grandfather's drill press that I took out of storage and put in the closet of my bedroom at home. And I, <laughs> I cobbled together these breaks that, um, that people liked. And so with a little help from my sister, I started a brand called Marinovative yep. while I was in high school. And the second brake design I did was a direct routed brake where the housing goes right to the noodle, which later became popularized by Shimano as the V-brake. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember running across more innovative, you know, way back when. And, you know, if somebody had told me, oh, no, that's just some kid from Fairfax or whatever, <laughs> you know, with a drill press in his closet, <laughs> I, you know, I, I just I wouldn't have believed it. You know, there was something much cooler about the, the presence, tiny presence, though it was. Uh -huh. Um that you know it was stylish um i in your closet in my well the product that's where i made the prototypes i worked with um, mark norstadt at paragon oh. machine works uh-huh and he, he really helped me a lot and gave a lot of guidance and he produced um the first run of brakes um that that were sold so no all more innovative customers of the past have no fear your life's were your life was not put in the hands of a teenager with a drill press those were actually machined by probably the best or one of the best machinists in the bike industry sure sure but still i just the picture of you know <laughs> you know i i just I, I this is like something out of gross point blank you know jeremy Piven going 10 years <laughs> um, yeah my dad i my 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 room had this i can still envision it my room had this really deep brown shag carpet and my dad would just yell at me to no end because it had titanium and aluminum shavings embedded <laughs> in it. And you couldn't get it out. And when you'd walk by, you would cut your feet with these metal shavings in the shag carpet from me machining in my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so what it was, you went to UC Santa Cruz, yep. um, where most people, um, shall we say major in, in alternative religion. Um, <laughs> but, you went to specialized right out of UC Santa Cruz, right? That's right. Yeah. Yep. I, um, I graduated from there in 1993, the spring of 93. And then in November of 93, I started at specialized. Wow. And what was your first role there? I was a tech rep. Um, I traveled around, they gave me a Ford Aerostar and a fleet of the best bikes and equipment that they made and packed it in there. And, my job was to travel around the 13 Western states and drop in on bike shops and tell them about the products. And it was fantastic because the shops didn't want me in there during store hours. So I'd go in before they opened, do a clinic, and then I'd have the whole middle of the day basically free. And bike shop guys would always come in and on their day off to have the clinic. And then after, what do bike shop guys do 
but ride bikes on their day off. So everyone wanted to show me their best trails and the best roads. And so, um, you know, it was a fantastic job where I was, you know, I was doing 5,000 miles a month, but I was probably logging, you know, 20 to 30 hours a week of riding amazing terrain all over the 13 Western States of, of this awesome country we got. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. At the point that you and I met when you were still at Specialized, uh, I believe your your role at that point was head of global marketing. Yeah, it was called different things, but I worked in product. My 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 career at Specialized was pretty long, and about half of it was um, I was a tech rep for a short period, and then I moved into product as a developer, and then a product manager, ultimately being responsible for all the performance mountain bikes. And then um, I shifted and headed up global marketing um, for the sort of the second decade I was there. Um, so, yeah, head of global marketing, uh, chief brand officer, chief marketing officer were kind of some of the titles. But, yeah, essentially overseeing that awesome team um, for driving marketing on a global basis for Specialized. And, you know, for my part, I kind of figured you were the heir apparent, you know, at some point. Mike Sinyard cannot continue to be Mike Sinyard. <laughs> um, but then you turned left and you became uh, I, what I think was the first head of NICA once it started to try to go national, uh, correct? Um, more or less. I um, specialized, had always been a big supporter of high school mountain biking prior to NICA. It was the NorCal High School Mountain Bike League, which is still an awesome league. And talking with Matt Fritzinger, I said, why don't you take this thing national? And he said, well, we need money. And I talked with Mike and we came to him with a check and said, here's a check, you know, make this new entity and take high school mountain biking coast to coast. Your next job is to get a check this same size from Trek, because this isn't about any brand. It's about getting more kids on bikes. And right. he did that. And so I was on the original board of directors and. So Matt Fritzinger was the executive director in the beginning, and then there's a board of directors like all nonprofits. So I was on the I was on the board, um, and then yeah, at a at a point in time, I made the decision to actually join the staff at NICA, um, and there were several factors that led to that. One was the purpose associated with that, and also, you know, during the course of my time at Specialized, I had started a family in Marin County where I was born and raised, and. Um, that's a hundred miles away from Morgan Hill where specialized yeah. is located. So I wanted to spend more time with my family. Um, and so that also was a driver in that decision. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason I wanted to go back through some of this is just to give, you know, our listeners a sense of, you know, the incredible range of what your career has been and how once you've done all this stuff, I mean, this is a, a fairly enviable resume, I think. Oh, thanks, Patrick. You could have gone most anywhere, and of all the places you could have gone, you went, hydration. This thing needs to happen. This is a yeah. fresh approach to hydration. Uh, I want to do this instead of anything else. Yeah. I mean, you're the sort of guy that John Burke will call, you know? <laughs> um, but you did this instead. So yeah. I want I want you to just take a moment and speak to your passion about yeah. this. You know, you've explained, you've explained how the product works, but you know, what got you so psyched? Well, I appreciate you asking the question. A lot of times people say the same thing, you know, you did this and you did that and now you're doing hydration. How strange. And 
to me, it's not strange at all because I really, I need to believe in what I'm doing. I really, you know, I'm, I don't know why, but I've always had this sense that we only have a short amount of time, you know, on this plane of existence, not to get too esoteric, but Mm -hmm. let's make the most of it. And for me, it needs to feel purposeful. And one of the things that feels most important to me is when I'm in my body, riding my bike out in nature, my body feels good and I'm in touch with what's around me and I'm healthy and I'm breathing and I feel alive. So, um, you know, some of my best friends, the best experiences I've had, you know, the richness of my life, one of the huge contributors to that is using my body and for me on my bicycle primarily. And so if you think about it from that point of view, if I happen to be developing a new bicycle that enables someone to have a better experience or motivates them to ride when maybe they wouldn't, I'm still pursuing that objective. If I'm working at NICA and trying to get more kids on bikes and share with young people how amazing it is to use your body and build character and strength and tenacity and overcome adversity through riding a bike, it's really another expression of the same motivation. And the same thing is true with sports nutrition. It really is similar to the break. The state of affairs in sports nutrition is horrible. And most athletes have erroneous beliefs. And because of those wrong beliefs, they're doing the wrong things. They're Mm -hmm. eating and drinking the wrong things at the wrong time. And therefore, they're not feeling good. And they're not performing nearly as well as they could. And to me, that's a wrong that needs to be righted. And when people learn a little bit about how their body works and learn the importance of proper hydration and sports nutrition, they find a whole new level of how they feel and how they perform. And I sincerely believe their life experience is elevated. Like it's, um, so it's all, to me, it's all, everything I've done, I, I endeavor to have it be an expression of that same goal, to help people feel better, perform better, be in the world, be active, use their body, connect with people, connect with nature. That's what's really driving me. Mm -hmm. Well, I I think that's one of the reasons why I've connected with your work so thoroughly. You know, there's an authenticity to it. And, you know, I, I like talking about how, you know, I fundamentally believe that if you have a better experience out on your ride, Mm then you've just had a better day. You know, yeah. if you ride early in the day, you know, that carries through through the entirety of the rest of your day. It improves Absolutely. it. Um, yeah. And Absolutely. if you've had a rough day and you ride at the end of the day, you know, it's a way to kind of redeem that day for yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you put enough of those days together, that's a better life. Oh, yeah, for and sure. So, you know, and yeah, you, that's, yeah, totally. And when you think about, the effect that that has when we're feeling good when mm-hmm. so say you wake up early and you get that ride in and you start your day and you've got that positive energy that affects the people that you interface with and the every room you walk into and so it's not only that personally and selfishly we feel better we are improving the experience of all those around us so it's a big deal well the corollary is you know dude you need to go for a ride Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Believe me. I've heard that plenty. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's a it's a left handed compliment. But I mean, it's it's as pure a testament to the power of that thing in our lives. So 
Yes. You know, and yeah. So if we can improve an already good thing so that we get even more out of it or, or so that, you know, there's more of us when we get off the bike, you know, we're yeah. not completely worked over. Um, yeah, that's a that's a genuinely helpful thing. Yeah, for sure. Very cool. So at what point are you guys going to start shipping product again? January 20th. So okay. coming right up here. Yeah, we um, Lee and I closed the asset purchase there at the end of October 2016, immediately placed um, placed the order with our co-packing partner to produce the next batch. And it's uh, it's going to be shipping on the 20th of January. So coming right up and we're selling gift cards already. Um, for those who are familiar with the product, they've been snapping them up, which is really excellent, kind of working as a little bit of a Kickstarter where people are paying for product in advance, and that's really helping because this time Cash around, flow. Yeah. yeah, this time around, Lee and I haven't taken any outside investment yet, so that we're able to have total control, and um, so that you know that cash flow really helps us in this uh, in this effort that we're doing. Wow, that's tremendous. Yeah. Um, and, and now since you guys have it so closely held, I mean, you're not going to face, uh, the challenges that you faced the first time around that just, you know, cause you to depart, to depart. That's right. Um, so I, I'm really psyched for you. Uh, I've missed the product, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, I've got scratch and that, you know, I mean, it's not like I didn't have a way to do this. Yeah. Um, but the, the blackberry flavor, man, dude. <laughs> You know, I've been missing that. That's that's important to me. Um, it's funny how I just I associate that with that taste with better performance. Mm, yeah, yeah. You know, and and there the other brand that you mentioned is great product for sure, and born from really the same science. And you know, Osmo is kind of version two point of that, if you will, a little more sodium based on research that occurred later later and a tuned sucrose-glucose ratio, which speeds fluid transfer into the body, even even over that other great product that you referenced there. Yeah. You know, for me, one of the things I remember saying to Alan Lim was, you know, you need to be psyched about Scratch because having them in the marketplace... Osmo. Uh, uh, sorry, yeah. Uh, uh, Alan Lim and Scratch needs to be psyched about Osmo being present because it legitimizes their approach. If you're the only guy doing something, you're an outlier, mm. you know, and everybody's kind of looking at you going like, well, he's a freak, you know, are we going to buy into this? But once someone else enters that sector of the market, um, you know, and takes a, a similar approach uh, product wise, you know, it's like, you know, the first mountain bike, it's like, well, that's kind of freaky. Um, pretty soon you got four companies producing mountain bikes. It's like, well, I guess we ought to do this. Um, and so, you know, I, I've been, I, it's been nice to see, you know, like Cliff completely, uh, retuned their product, uh, in this approach, uh, as a, I think a, a wonderful confirmation of the work you guys have done. Well, yeah, the, you know, the, just to go, since you raised it, it's interesting, you know, the brands that you referenced Cliff and Scratch and Osmo, they all have a, a common route and that was, you know, my co-founder at, at Osmo, Stacy Sims, and Stacy was working for Cliff way back when as a as a researcher, and Cliff was sponsoring the Garmin team, and the riders on the Garmin team were having a lot of GI distress. Their stomachs were hurting. Their performance wasn't good. Alan was working for that team, and 
Cliff invited Stacy over to the Tour de France training camp. Mm-hmm. And together, Alan and Stacy, Stacy with a lot of nutritional science, that was her background, and Alan with the trust of the athletes and working with them on a power standpoint, together they mixed up the product, which actually worked really great and ended up coming to market as secret drink mix yep. that Stacy and Alan did together. Then they decided to part ways and Alan continued with Scratch. Stacy came over with our co-founder Paul and I, and we created Osmo with sort of version 2.0 of, of her science. And, and then subsequent to that, Stacy and Paul and I had been talking with Cliff, and Cliff ended up doing a low osmolality hydration drink that in some regards bears a lot of resemblance to, um, to the Osmo product. And, you know, getting back to what you shared about your perspective that more than one brand communicating a a different philosophy than what is current being good. I couldn't agree with you more to me, you know, scratch is not as much a competitor as an ally because yeah, yeah, because they're, they're really effectively helping athletes switch up their nutrition and hydration regimen so that they feel better and they perform better. And that's what we're trying to do. And the reality is the sports drink market is over a $10 billion a year space. And (laughs) almost all of it is really garbage. Yeah, and that's the thing. I keep stressing, this is a change in philosophy. You've got to think about how you drink and how you eat differently. And that's why I love seeing multiple companies going, no, this is the way to go. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so, um, well, hey, dude, welcome back. Hey, thanks a lot, Patrick. It's so great to connect with you, and I'm flattered that you asked to spend a little time talking about this and hear what's going on with Osmo. So, thank you so much. You're doing such great work out there as well, really helping people expand their understanding of of riding and what's happening. And I really appreciate your work. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Hey, I'll drive down sometime. Let's go hit Tamarancho. Let's do it. Alrighty, man. Take All right. care. Take care, Patrick. You know, Ben is such a renaissance man. I can't believe the number of things that he has done. I mean, starting a a, a components company while he is in high school. That was <laughs> awesome. That was awesome. What was your senior project? Yeah. yeah uh, I started a company. I, you know, I, I, I did humor interpretation on my speech team. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. I also did yeah, Lincoln I'm... Douglas debate. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. No. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you got an A on both. Um, nah. <laughs> you could have faked that one, dude. You had me. I okay. know. I know. No one was going to check my transcripts. But um, yeah, what really interesting. And all the best to Ben and to Osmo Hydration. And I think it's really cool with that uh, connection with uh, Peter Sagan bringing, uh, you know, essentially demanding that this company uh, stay in business that, uh, you know, if you're going to have someone in the bike industry, make that kind of demand, Peter is not a bad guy to have do that. Right. I, I can't imagine anyone better. Yeah. I, I simply can't, you know, I mean, we're, we're in a, a post hero age in cycling and, uh, you know, he's a guy who sort of gets a buy on that. Everybody yep. likes him. So it's true. Yeah. It's true. I don't, everyone does. I can't help it. So let's let's shift to uh, an, a story about Lamond, Greg Lamond, and he is fired 
his CEO. Tell me about what's going on with that. Oh my gosh. You know, I had someone in the industry recently reach out to me and ask me, uh, you know, what, you know, who are some opportunities, some brands that, um, you know, might be out there that you could work with uh, to help bring, you know, solid manufacturing of carbon fiber bikes, you know, back to the industry. Um, and, you know, Le Mans doesn't currently have bikes. And so he asked, mm-hmm. you know, what about Le Mans? And I was like, well, you want, you know, he's involved with the company in Tennessee. Um, you might want to keep an eye on what's going on with that. Um, and I didn't predict bad things, but I said, you know, his his endeavors often end in lawsuits. And, oh, boy, I, this is probably not even the biggest one yet. But, um, yeah, Connie Jackson, who was the CEO um, of Le Mans Composites, uh, which was formed last year uh, to manufacture um, uh, more affordable carbon fiber. Um, this wasn't so much a bike company as a carbon fiber technology company. And so the whole idea was that they were going to do go about uh, producing carbon fiber in a different way so that they could not only produce bicycles, but they would also be producing components for other companies as well. This is going to be bigger ju- than just the bike industry. And uh, Jackson, the CEO, actually has um, lots of experience in carbon fiber, you know, in manufacturing. And she was brought on to great fanfare, heralds of trumpets. You know, <laughs> she is absolutely the person. And now she's been fired and she's suing them for more than $2 million. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, she isn't just like somebody who's been around the in- industry. She was a co-inventor and a, on a patent application for a carbon f- fiber manufacturing process. Um, so, I mean, she's she's a bright bulb. Um but, you know, they opened a 65,000-square-foot facility, um, and allegedly it was going to employ more than 200 people, which, you know, for anything playing in the bike industry, that's a pretty fair number of people. Yeah. Um, but there are charges that Le Mans um, used company funds to fly his entire family to see the Tour de France. Um, they, she was fraudulently induced, she says, fraudulently induced to sign a non-compete clause, the whole argument was that uh, there was a potential investor looking to come on. You need to sign this non-compete. You need to do it right now. They want to sign papers tomorrow. Uh, you cannot have your attorney review this non-compete. Uh, just sign it now. Sign it, sign it, sign it. And so <laughs> she signed it. And then, lo and behold, the investor who was supposed to come on didn't come on. And so she thinks it was just um, a ruse to try to get her to sign a non-compete that no sane person would otherwise have signed. Um, And then, let's see, uh, there's, yeah, there have been expenses that she's covered that they haven't paid back. Um, She charges that uh, phone calls were wiretapped. This is a mess. I mean, it's... It's weird and scary, and um, you know, I hope some of this stuff doesn't actually directly involve Lamont himself, like the wiretaps, because that gets to be, well, not to be too indelicate about this, but a little too Lance Armstrong, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that would just be really ugly. But um, uh, you know, she's charging that there have been breaches of fiduciary duty. Um, this is big, important stuff, um, and you know, her history. You know, the payout for this um, is significant. Her, you know, her significant in, uh, history in the industry, um, 
you know, her salary was three hundred thousand dollars. Wow. Um, so, you know, this is a wrongful termination. You know, uh, oh, it's just it's a mess. Um, and I was the the guy who had reached out to me to ask about, well, you know, should I be talking to Lamond about doing more bikes for him? Uh, we were on the on the ride together yesterday here at press camp, and I was like, um, so I guess you've seen that story, right? Um, and it's one of those things. Nobody likes being right about bad news, but right. I had a suspicion that, you know, before this thing, you know, got big and wonderful and amazing – that it might go south. And um, I don't really understand why this happens so often in Lamont's business endeavors, but boy, it has happened again and again. It really bums me out. I want to see him do great things. Sure. Um, you know, I was relieved when the book about him came out, you know, because I think it has helped to, to write a fundamental wrong about his career. Um, you know, placing him in, in the proper competitive context in, in that history. But, um, Man, his businesses get sideways in just awful ways. They are just yard shows, uh, uh, yard sales of, of you know, lawyers and paper and stuff. Oh, it's yeah, yeah, it's ugly. Yeah, so. it, it and it's really kind of a shame that I, I think it, everyone th- likes to think that their ideas they can ch- lead the charge on and that they can be the leader in uh, in that endeavor but some people just need to have a layer between them someone who has real business sense and acumen and perhaps uh, is a little bit more of a i don't know I, I guess a traditional business person to do that kind of thing i think that uh, lamont's had some great ideas but he needs to be someone who sort of takes a back seat in the business itself yeah. And, you know, one of the things that's really unclear from everything I've been able to find out about this is just what his role was. I mean, yeah. it's not like he's got any direct uh, hmm. expertise in carbon fiber. Yeah. You know, um, he, he, you know, he would make an awfully smart super coach for somebody. True. Uh, he would he would also make a really incredible consultant to the UCI on anti-doping efforts. Um, he's proven to be really insightful on the sorts of things that you ought to look for uh, in trying to predict whether or not, you know, sans, uh, you know, blood test evidence, uh, the sorts of things that you ought to look for um, to be suspicious of whether or not someone is doping. Um, the, I mean, no one contests the idea that Lamond is brilliant. Right. Okay. Um, you know, it's just the, the, the use of his efforts. Um, yeah. So. What should he be doing? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm unclear what his role in this company was, um, you know. So uh, if he was if he was supposed to have more than a, a, the role of just an investor, um, you know, I'm, I don't know what that was. And it hasn't been reported. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll just have to watch it, see see where this goes. It's uh, I mean, we're kind of in the middle of this story. No, uh, no end. uh Yet in sight, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's the sort of thing. In some ways, I'd really rather not report on anymore. You know, <laughs> I, I just, you know, bad news and Greg Lamont. I hate it. Um, yeah. But it's, it's an interesting story because there are some, some fairly ugly charges. So. Yeah. Well, let's go on to something of a little bit happier nature, and that would be the paceline picks. Yeah. 
where we, every episode, talk about something that is cool that may or may not be bike-related. I think we usually do something bike-related just because is there anything we do that is not bike-related? But <laughs> I know mine is. But let's start with yours first this time. What's your yeah. baseline pick? Well, you know, I've been noticing... So first off... Um, there's been talk that Rafa is in discussions uh, for a potential sale uh, to a big fashion company. Um, it's been reported that, you know, they've been talking to a big brand. Um, mm. And something that sometimes happens before uh, you make a sale is that you sell off all your existing stocks so that, you know, those profits flow through um, to the existing owners. And uh, right now they are in the midst of a 60% off sale. Anyone who has ever loved Rafa gear should probably check this out. I'm sure they're out of some some popular sizes, but um, if ever you wanted to own some Rafa gear, this is the time to do it. And yeah. I suspect I'm inferring, perhaps not fairly, but that's how my mind works. Um, I I suspect that this indicates that the sale is going to go through. That Rafa is going to sell soon. Interesting. I will say that I did over the weekend pick up two pair of uh, a pro bib cycling shorts over uh, through that sale. So yeah, I noticed it and was like, hmm, these are some of my favorite shorts. Um, yeah. Perhaps, perhaps ironically, considering uh, the segment on do we need chamois, I bought them because Rafa has some of my very favorite uh, <laughs> so you're not giving up on chamois just yet i am not i just bought two new pair of uh of rafa bib shorts um at a good price and i was still able to find them in a normal size you know i, I wear a medium bib short and i had they, they didn't have just the plain black which was what i was looking for but it just had you know the ones with the uh rafa uh logo in white along the along the right cuff i believe and yeah. I'm, I'm fine with that. that. That still goes with everything. So, um, yeah, great deal. Uh, you know, snap them up while you can. So here's my pick. Um, and this is not the first time that I have picked a TV series, but I am in the basement on my trainer pretty much every day while we are getting, I think, around 18 inches of snow in the last three days here in Utah. And since I don't have a fat bike, I am on the trainer and doing either trainer road or sometimes Zwift. But I have been watching uh, the History Channel's Vikings uh, on Amazon Prime. And that is really a good series. I mean, yeah. I, there's like, there, I don't even know how many seasons there are. I've just started on, uh, on season one. But if you want a show that has a lot of action, which is really helpful when you are on the trainer because it helps spike your heart rate or give you some adrenaline and an easy to follow plot which is also helpful when you're on your trainer and sometimes you are can't kind of having straight. To, yeah. And you can't think straight. Perfectly said, and, you know, a, a show like this, a lot of action, easy plot, fun acting, uh, you know, kind of fantastical and silly in some ways, but really enjoyable. That is a not half bad trainer series to follow. That's my pick. Interesting. All right. How how is that show handled? I mean, obviously, it's not a traditional documentary, um, but are they kind of dramatizing what they think the lives of the Vikings were back then? Is that oh, how they're doing this? Oh yeah, it's it's a fully fictional uh, show. I don't know much about actual history uh, for Vikings. I kind of get the sense that they are trying to weave in some uh, some known uh, some known history and some known mythology. 
but I'm guessing that it would be on the, I'm, and this is a guess, but I'm going to guess it's on the order of about 10% accurate. <laughs> I'm, wa- I'm watching it with the, with the same expectation of learning that I would have of uh, from watching Game of Thrones, right? It's, it's a great, it's a, it's a fun show to watch, but don't do it for the educational benefit. <laughs> okay. Full okay. disclosure, right? All right. <laughs> so what's coming up on RKP? Um, so uh, Hottie did a ride this past weekend sponsored by Bonk Breaker called the Tranquilo. And so we've got a, a post up on that. I haven't even had a chance to read it myself, uh, but it looks like it was a really good time. Uh, it was a, a gravel event. I'm not sure how much pavement versus how much dirt. Um, mm-hmm. But this is something that uh, I'm going to alert people to because apparently Bonk Breaker wants to do more of these. Um, they're even talking about doing one in Northern California, I hear. Um, so, yeah, interesting post to check out. Yeah. Um, I'm in the midst of building up a 3T Explorer. Oh, I hate um, you so much. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, so how are you building it? Tell us, tell us a little bit about what the, what the main components are. It's a SRAM Force Group. Um, mm-hmm. I've got uh, I've got the uh, Clement um, wheels that I'm going to be um, that I'm going to be riding it. I'm probably going to swap the tires out from the uh, Explorer MSOs uh, in 36 millimeter to something bigger because you've got clearance for days uh, <laughs> in the fork and the rear triangle. Um, I will say that I've got at least 10 hours into this build yet so far, and I'm not finished yet. Mm-hmm. It, it is the single most difficult build of my entire life. Um, so that's been uh, an eye opener. And it's just because, you know, since it's an aero frame, uh, all the cables are routed internally. Yeah. Even though I'm only routing a rear brake and a rear derailleur, it's a SRAM Force one by system. Um, and so this will be my first opportunity to ride one by for an extended period, um, you know, on the terrain that I actually ride. And so this is going to be a real experiment to see, you know, how, how I really feel about one by, but I'm trying to go in with an open mind, but I am a guy who has publicly stated previously, I like front derailers. Um, (laughs) you know, I get along well with them. Um, so that probably won't it it might show up in some mentions here and there but that review will be a little ways uh off as well as the review on the group mm-hmm. um so not just around the the corner there's also going to be the first episode of the Redwood Empire Pedalcast um yes i'm starting another podcast um this is a northern california specific uh podcast we're going to be covering from basically Monterey up to Mendocino and as far uh, east as Sacramento, although we've already recorded the first episode and I mentioned both Bakersfield and Chico. So uh, apparently I can't be trusted. (laughs) (laughs) But that's, you know, it's meant for people who live, you know, yeah, somewhere between Monterey, Mendocino and Sacramento. Uh, We're going to be covering, uh, it's going to be a lot about events, but also the industry. you know, rides, that sort of thing. Uh, but it's meant to help, you know, further uh, encourage and foster the culture um, for riding in Northern California. Cool. Look forward to listening to that first episode when it comes out. Yeah. I, and I think that will do it for this episode. Let's uh, wrap this thing up. Thanks much for listening. And once again, subscribe, rate, review us in all the places that you normally would. And maybe in some of the places you wouldn't. I mean, why not? 
right? <laughs> so I'm Fatty, <laughs> and with me is Patrick Brady, and this has been The Pace Line. Uh, it's an amazing season for sure, and uh, it's unbelievable. Like, it's the World Championships, and uh, okay, also now, it's, uh, yeah, like... 